0: If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts,
1: come grab a drink and join the choir, it's heretic happy out
2: well howdy buckaroos welcome to the heretic happy hour podcast this is our final episode in the reconstruction series we can't wait to kick this one off my name is keith giles i'm one of the other hosts here on the podcast
3: jesus christ (laughs) oh man
2: that's right uh howdy hey uh yeah it's keith and uh we have another amazing episode for you guys wrapping up the reconstruction series um I guess we should probably introduce ourselves and get this thing rolling.
0: Where did that come from, Keith? It's, it's good to hear your regular voice back. Hey, everyone. I'm Katie Valentine. I'm the author of Sex, Slavery, and Self-Control. I wanted to let everyone know real quick as we're getting started. I'm really excited about a class I'm hosting in January with a wonderful colleague of mine on how to find your ideal church. So those of you who have been through the deconstruction process, maybe you're in the middle of reconstruction, you think there maybe might possibly be a community out there that could love you and accept you for exactly who you are, doubts and all, this class is for you on finding your ideal church and community. (laughs) So if you're interested, we'll we'll post the link in the show notes, and I uh, would love to have you as part of that.
4: Well, looky here, oh this here is Derek Day, <laughs> the author of Deconstructing Religion, and I'm just saying, I'm just here to say that I can speak as well southern as Keith Giles can.
0: I, I'm actually southern, y'all. I'm the only southerner here. Get the fuck out of here. I was born in Tennessee, Southern Light. I'm Deep South Southern. Oh, all right, I'm
3: from the South Side of Detroit, by the way. Yeah,
0: <laughs> South. Yeah,
3: uh, and, and I'm from San Jose, California. So I don't. I'm not going to fuck around with that su- Southern accent. stuff. So. Thank you. But that makes that makes me Matthew DiStefano, the author of many books. Most of them shit, but some of them may be good. Bullshit. <laughs> but excited. We're we're wrapping up a series here, so uh, excited to do that and uh, you know what we have in store for folks who knows but uh, always excited for another episode
4: and guess what y'all we got a hotline a voicemail coming in <laughs> so if you want to call into the heretic happy hour and tell us what you think <laughs> you can exercise finger dexterity and 240 uh, 343 and roll that beautiful voicemail footage
5: hi this is dave miller i am an ordained pastor with the evangelical lutheran church in america in california uh... already right there makes me kind of a heretic but i am a longtime listener first-time caller i've never thought i'd say that um... i was listening to a wonderful podcast by yourselves with the quantum reconstruction and rob bell fantastic stuff um And the notion of creating and recreating and the breath of God into the lump of dirt that became human got my wheels turning. I've preached on this before, but I just wanted to ask you guys, uh, what do you think about the seven days of creation as written, as documented, as narrated, as whatever in uh, Genesis about being kind of this uh, path of our creation that we create in the world too where we have never entered the seventh day or God has never entered the seventh day where God rested for we are always creating and recreating and becoming a new creation. So uh, just wondering your thoughts on this idea. Maybe I'm out of my mind. It is not the first time. Rational minds may disagree. But I also wanted to just uh, gauge what you guys thought and, uh, and also just say what a great uh, podcast. It has really brought uh, a new life into my uh, my life and my preaching. Uh, I'm in my 11th year doing this. So, again, thank you, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. All right. Dave. What a cool
0: question. That
4: was that was really cool. Yeah, kill me. I, I'm going to go ahead and, and jump in first on this one. Go for it. Because I believe that the seven days is allegorical. Yes. I I it, it could have been it could have been one day or it could have been a million days. Who knows? Who knows? But I I will say this that uh you know that, that creation is something that um I believe that it happened outside of time. So that creation is always being created and recreated. And that ties back into what Dave said about our his wonderful comments about the quantum episode.
0: Mm-hmm. So yep. first of all, Dave, I want to know where you went to seminary. And if you went to PLTS, we may know people in common. And I'm kind of curious if our paths ever crossed there in Berkeley, if you happen to go there since you are in California. And I this idea of have we never entered into the seventh day is super intriguing to me. And, you know, I could give like a whole historical lecture on The Genesis, on Genesis 1 and how how it came to be, but that's not what I sense the question is. The question is what this um, idea of creating, and I I feel very strongly that when we are creators of music, of ideas, of poetry, of even new ways of being, that we're partnering with God, we're co-creating with God.
4: Amen.
0: Yeah. um, And I don't know if we said that in that episode, but uh, it's great we have this question to say it now. And that that's that's so powerful and it's not even about the end result, but it's about the process of being creators. And I think that's sacred and it's holy. You know, I'm kind of curious about this God having never entered the Sabbath or rested because rest is so important to creation. Yeah. Right. We have to have periods of sort of luxurious rest in order to be able to create. So I, I, I kind of like the seventh day rest that God yeah. takes a holy breath and that we're invited to do that too.
4: Besides that, omnipresence is everywhere. So there's nowhere that God isn't.
0: Exactly. So Matt, what do you think? Well, I,
3: I, I like the idea. Um, I like the idea in that maybe there is some sort of eternality that we haven't entered into of perpetual rest. And we've been adventuring through this life this whole time without entering into that final rest, whatever that may be. Um, but I but I don't know. I, I, I see the value of having rest. Um, well, if you're like me and you're uh, about to enter your 40s, and I know I'm the young one here, but y'all know that you're not in your 20s anymore. You need rest every day, <laughs> let alone every week. So, but I, but I like the idea. I like the um, the teasing out of different ideas that aren't quote unquote traditional and playing with the text on what it might mean for us. And uh, and I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer here.
2: Yeah, I I think um, it is sort of a two pronged question. <clears throat> um, on the one hand, yeah, I I don't. I think I agree with you guys. I don't see Genesis as being a literal documentary. Uh, you know uh, what happened events, uh, that were realistically, scientifically true or accurate. I'd see it more as a parable and a story, that in some ways uh, is is the uh, it's a parable of the story of Israel, the nation of Israel. You know, they uh, they start off they're with God, everything's great. They fall away, they sin, they disobey, they're cast into exile, and then the process repeats. But it's also in some ways too, the Garden of Eden story is also in some ways the story of everybody. It's, it's your story. It's my story. I mean, we're born, we're innocent, we're, we're sweet. Then, you know, we, we, the first words we learn are no. And then the next one is mine. And, um, mm-hmm. right. Then we learn the, we, we learn uh, good and evil, the difference between, you know, the knowledge of good and evil, uh, we grow and then we become people that are flawed and have problems. I mean, in many ways it's the human story as well. And I think it's, it can have many applications, so, but that's a, That's just one side of the question. But the the question about the rest and the, the, um, here's what's funny. I think actually you could support it. Well, quickly, Jesus says, you know, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. I've always thought that that's what Jesus was saying is that uh, come to me and I will give you this rest. You will enter into this rest, the same rest of the the father, um, the Sabbath rest of the father. And um, but at the same time, though, Jesus also in another place says, "My Father is always working. He is always at work, even to this very day." So the, again, it's sort of both and yes, the Father is always creative, always moving, always working, and we are too because we're we're abiding in Christ. Christ is in us, and blah blah blah. Um, so it's sort of like both and we are we are collaborating and working because the Father is always working, and we're 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 co-creators in that sense. But at the same time, even though that's true, we're also at the same time entering into the rest. So I'm not sure that's an answer or not. I think it's just maybe there. It's, it, it is in a way, in a weird way, it's not one or the other. I think in a way. It's
4: but remote. think about it. If God is outside of time, He's working and resting at the same time.
2: Yeah, and 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 in some ways so we are too, right? Yep. So we we can we can even let's say collaborate, cooperate with uh, in that process of creation and being creative. And but we can even do it from a place of resting. In other words, not from not from a place of striving and stress, uh, but from a
0: place of resting, or of uh, being worthy. Yes, right. Having to prove ourselves. Yes. And you know, in the in the in the quantum kind of world where, that I like to explore, I kind of wonder if you know, when our when our incarnated physical bodies die, uh, we go and we are, I feel like our souls are at rest before we come back and we try it again. Yeah, you know if we're if we live any if we live many lives. So I feel like we get cosmic periods of rest, work, rest, work, and creation. Yeah. And not that we're not creating on the uh, on the other side, but you know it's uh, not quite as much work.
4: The quantum particle appears and disappears, and the wave emerges and dissipates. Exactly.
0: Sh- that-
3: sh- shameless plug, but um, in in the. The, the bonfire sessions that's going to come out. <laughs> Ralph, you're pu- publishing it, so you already you already agreed to it, um,
4: <laughs> which is fucking amazing, by the way.
3: Yeah. And I'll say, Derek, you are writing the foreword. So thank you for that. Mike and I actually talk about this, about like we're weary and tired right now. And all we want to do is rest. But maybe in a thousand a thousand years, use that allegorically. We'll want to come back and uh, try, try our hand at this thing called life again. So.
0: You know, you know the four of us have been together before. Oh no. Creating something. Now we're in this lifetime, we're doing it. Pass-y. Who knows what it'll be next time around? Just putting that out there. Oh boy. Who knows? Who knows? All right, y'all. This is uh what a great question. Thank you for calling in. I feel like we're ready to explore our heretic of the week.
1: Yes. It's the heretic of the week. Hi, my name is Jeff Turner, and I am a heretic. Hi, Hi Jeff hi everybody <laughs> i I hope you're as excited as we are about this
5: i am i'm excited
1: to be on the other end of that greeting for once i've heard it many times so <laughs> well yes
3: welcome um jeff if, if for those who don't know Jeff is the author of one of the greatest books of all time from the blood of Abel or the author of the, the author of the, wait, four, wait,
5: wait, the wait, author, not, not. let me I, let me, re- let me rephrase. the
3: author of the best part of from the blood of Abel, the foreword. So Jeff, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
3: Yeah. So first question we like to ask people is why in the world would you introduce yourself as a heretic?
1: Well, um, I would like to say it's because I'm so gosh darned orthodox and the rest of the church is so steeped in heresy. They mistake me as a heretic, but I don't think that uh, highly of myself. And I think the truth is it's probably because over the years I've become utterly convinced of the fact that God has given Himself perfect representation in the person of Jesus, and that that person in whom He has revealed Himself um, challenges all notions we have of the divine, and calls us not just to uh, not just to correct our notions of the divine, but to absolutely discard probably a hundred percent of them and rediscover who God is from God's perspective. And I guess when you start messing with stuff like that. People tend to think you're a heretic. I would have thought myself a heretic, not a few, not, uh, but a few years back. So I, I understand.
0: Well, a few years back, tell us a little bit about yeah. that process. How did you okay. go from thinking of your thinking of that way until yeah. where you are now of Jesus as the perfect representation of the divine?
1: Well, when I say a few years, I don't actually mean three, I mean, whew, quite a few more than that actually. But, um, um. You, you know, my journey started, I, I became a radical, sold out on fire, evangelical Christian when I was about 13 years old. Um, we took a trip down to Pensacola, Florida, to the Brownsville Revival, if you've ever heard of that. Um, Wait, I was
2: there. I went there.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah, I was okay.
2: There many years ago. Yeah, when that was going on. Okay. I okay. That you were there. but Right. Well, there. it
1: could have been. Who knows? Yeah. But um, yeah, so we took a trip down there when I was 13. And we took a Trip back there every year until I graduated high school. And uh, my wife and I actually ended up moving down there and we lived there for our first two years of marriage. And I attended their Bible college uh, when it still existed. Um, so, uh, so that's kind of my history. I grew up just in the radical, on fire, going after God with every fiber of my being sort of uh, vein of Christianity that was uh, going around in the 90s during the renewal movement. And, um, you know, in, in, into my 20s, I fasted every other day of my life. I prayed eight to 12 hours a day, most weeks. Um, I was, I was driven, I was obsessed. I went after this thing like a maniac and, um, you know, uh, it's, it's hard to exactly pin down where the whole process started. But for me, when I was still in Bible college and I was, and and I was doing all of these things and going after God in this manner, um, you know, I've always kind of been a mystic at heart and that's always kind of been my relationship with God and how it functions and, I tried to get away from that for a while, but it found me again. But um, during this period of time, you know, when I'm, I'm just going after God like a madman, like I said, fasting every other day, praying eight to 12 hours a day, I started to have dreams where different preachers that I loved and respected um, who would never actually say the things to me that they said to me in, their, in my dreams would come and just preach something approximating what what we would now call like radical grace and inclusion and things like that. And I had no grid for these things at the time. And I would wake up and plead the blood of Jesus over my headboard because I thought the devil was trying to get into my dreams and deceive me and all that. And um, But that th- those things softened me um, and kind of opened me up to the possibility of embracing a more gracious version of God later on. But it really took me quite a few years to get to the point where I was able to actually embrace that. It took me pastoring for a long time. Um, I became a pastor very young and it took me really experiencing the realities of life and the faultiness of the system that I was involved in and and really realizing that it doesn't work a lot of the times in real life and just burning myself out and exhausting myself and nearly destroying my marriage and everyone else within a 10,000 mile radius of me. Um, And I finally just hit a wall and um, you know I took my beliefs as far as I think they could take me. And uh, I realized they did not work. And um, it was at that point that I remembered the grace that was trying to be revealed to me back in my um, early days in Bible college and um, sort of had a a, a return to that experience. And a lot happened after that. But that's kind of the the beginnings of of my story anyways. You're...
0: Comment about dreams, and I—it's so capturing me because I love dreams. I've always been a vivid dreamer, and I love that you had this kind of slow unfold. Even while your waking self was really worried about it being demonic at the the whole time, it sounds—it sounds grace-filled and terrifying all at the same time.
1: Yeah, it was. It was very terrifying because, like I said at the time, I was ensconced in a uh, worldview—you know—a world that was populated by ten thousand demons behind every bush, and you know, if you one simple act of disobedience during the day, you know, anything from looking at pornography to failing to pick up a gum wrapper on the floor could open a door to the demonic in your life somehow. And so, you know, I was always suspicious of anything that was happening to me. And when I'm having these experiences and the message is absolutely 100% contradicting the message that I embraced and bled, you know, it was, uh, it was terrifying, but at the same time, you know, you know, the gospel, when you hear it, like you resonate with it. And, um, I knew it was truth, but, I couldn't embrace it. It would have cost too much at the time to embrace it. And so there was like a part of me that knew it was real, but there was a part of me that was fearful and I consciously like renounced it and rejected it. And um, like I said, it took it took uh, quite a few years of the cosmos doing the little dance they do and, and kind of breaking me to the point where I finally realized my need for grace. And uh,
3: yeah. So I wanna I wanna go back to um something you said earlier. You mentioned that the reason some people think you're a heretic is that it's all about Jesus for you. Well, wouldn't wouldn't the evangelical or the, the folks maybe you and I probably hung out with during our younger years and were on fire for, wouldn't they say the same thing? So what um I mean, I know I know you, you went through a transition, but did that just look like something theological or did the theology build off these dreams you were having? How did that go?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess when I say to me, God is perfectly given perfect representation of himself in the person of Jesus. I mean, when some people hear that, they hear a limiting statement when they hear Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, they hear limitation. But when I hear that, I hear liberation. And I think God revealing himself perfectly and definitively as a human being who breathes and sweats and bleeds and lives and exists in the world exactly as we do, and even dies the way that we would die, questioning whether or not his father was even with him, you know, that um, that to me liberates the image of God, and it sets it free. Um, the evangelical notion of Jesus I grew up with was very limiting, and um, it, God can only be found in these very, you know, these sort of hermetically sealed environments. But But the revelation of God in Jesus set the image of God free. And now, since God has perfectly represented himself in humanity and in something physical, I now find myself liberated to find God in the same, in uh, the everyday stuff of life, um, the not so pleasant stuff of life, the pleasant stuff of life, just the realities of creation and of the world. And I think to some that um, goes against the grain of their belief system, because we think God can only be found in these very specific uh, environments and in these very specific settings and even within certain doctrinal and theological settings. And I just no longer buy that.
0: It sounds like the old the old environment that you were in, you know, the one where you were on fire and fasting every other day. Which mm-hmm. I got to say, kudos. I've never tried that ever um, good, <laughs> at any point for in my you. life. Good but for you. wow, <laughs> uh, yeah. But it sounds like that environment would have been really suspicious about God being revealed through nature.
1: Right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, that was. Um... You know, that was uh, you were just a two a you were like two steps away from Satanism at that point. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm curious you, when you mentioned the gum wrapper on the ground. I'm like, I yeah. wonder which gum wrapper was more satanic than the others. If there's brands that you should.
1: Hmm, you know, that's a good, stay that's a good away point. From. I don't know. Maybe. Um, yeah, I don't know. Bazooka Joe, perhaps. I don't know. Some of, those, <laughs> some of those Comics were a bit edgy. Oh, they had fortunes in them, too. So that had to be the one.
2: Oh, definitely. definitely. Well, yeah. And see, this is this is the reason why you know uh, what I used to always freshen my breath with Christian mints like mm. Testaments. Testaments. You, those were great. Yeah, was were real. Yeah, you don't want to. You know, uh, you're not freshening your breath with secular mints, are you? Yeah. No, you you need Christian mints, right?
1: <laughs> did Testaments go extinct with family Christian stores? I'm not sure because I, I don't see them anymore. Think they yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I, yeah, they were good. They're, they were good quality mints. Yeah.
0: This feels like a loss <laughs> to the world. Actually,
1: it does. <laughs> it was a blow.
0: Uh, your uh, what i see on your your social media and i think in a book that you've written the atheistic theist this seems like such a contrast and Mm -hmm. i'm just dying to know what does this mean
1: Uh, yeah well um see my journey took a lot of twists and turns and um the first thing that i really ran into like a brick wall was grace and it i ran into it at the end of a long hmm, a long sprint of legalism and all that stuff that I described before. And like I said, I came to a point where it just wasn't working anymore. I I wasn't seeing the results. I was supposed to be seeing things were happening to me that weren't supposed to happen to someone like me, quote unquote, you know, because I was doing all the right things and I, I was supposed to have the blood shield around me and none of that was supposed to be able to get in, but yet it was getting in. And, um, you know, my belief system, it just failed me. And I really think that sometimes, and I don't say this arrogantly or pridefully because I don't really take any pride in it. But I think a lot of people who have that basic belief system never really take it to the extreme that it actually calls you to take it to. And as a result, they never end up discovering that it doesn't work. And I think I was maybe a person who was just crazy enough to actually try it. And I hit the wall that exists at the end of it and realized it did not work. And um, you know, and then I just discovered grace. And for the first time in my life, my mind was freed. You know, I wasn't burdened down by by a, a fear of a wrathful God or a fear that changing my mind about something meant I was going to get hit by a church bus one night and go to hell. I mean, it was just like I could finally think I was finally free because I didn't have all those nagging thoughts and, and all, and all those fears. And, um, you know, so for a while I was just absolutely possessed by the notion of grace and it was like being everything. Everybody always described being born again as being, I always questioned whether I even was because I never had that crazy experience everyone described, but this was like that to me, discovering God like this was like that. Um, but something weird happened and it was that because I was actually finally able to think after a few years, um, my beliefs just started deconstructing themselves. You know, it was like, you know, well, well, what am I really saying grace is? I'm saying that grace is, well, God was once angry at me, and he was once this boiling, you know, pot of wrath, but then he poured it all out on his son, and now um, he abused himself, and in so doing appeased himself, and now I'm no longer on the wrong end of his Wrath. In fact, he has no wrath anymore because he poured it all out on Jesus and all this kind of stuff. And I started thinking about those, those things, things I could not have possibly thought about while in the throes of legalism because I wasn't allowed to. Now I could. And so my beliefs started taking themselves apart. And, you know, just one by one, different things fell. Eternal conscious torment, penal substitutionary atonement, you know, the basics. And then it got right down to the, you know, human suffering and the things that I saw as a pastor, because I was on, I was on, was part of a pastoral staff for 12 years. That was what I did full time. And, you know, I started to really see human suffering up close, people dying that should not have died, you know, Um, just things that I was not equipped for. And it started tearing at the fabrics of, of belief itself. And, um, you know, I found myself for a period of time serving on a pastoral staff uh, while also being an atheist for all suits and purposes. And um, I've come to think that I don't think a pastor is really doing their job if they haven't preached at least two sermons as an atheist, because I think it means you're you're probably not thinking as much as you should be. But, you know, at the time it was just absolutely, it was devastating. And um, so I really, I lost belief and uh, I, I really thought that I was losing Faith altogether, and now on the other side of it, I realized that God was actually cleansing and purging my belief system. And it wasn't, I didn't just need a few tweaks, I didn't just need you know the furniture rearranged and a new coat of paint. I needed my God to die so that I could actually encounter the God who is. And, um, you know, that was really what I experienced. And I came to over the course of uh several years of study and, and prayer and being alone with my thoughts when I wasn't praying. Um, you know, I came to the conclusion, I came to agree with Chesterton, Zizek, and others that Christianity is the purest and truest form of atheism because it's in Christianity that all of our God concepts are dismantled and cleansed and purged so that we can actually encounter the God who is. And I used to think the gospel, the aim of the gospel was to make godless men godly, but I now realize the gospel sometimes must first make the godly godless so that we can meet God. And um, that was Wait, wait, my, say
0: that again. The gospel well, was-
1: Yeah, I used to think the purpose of the gospel was to make the godless godly, but I now realize that the purpose of the gospel, or at least a function of the gospel, is to make the godly godless so that we might encounter the God who is, because we can encounter the real- the reality of God, you know, we can have genuine experiences and encounters with the God who actually is. But if those experiences are first passing through this filter of this God concept, we've inherited, they come to us in a polluted form. And, um, we end up thinking those encounters and experiences confirm the beliefs about God we've had. And so I think for me, atheism was the best thing that ever happened to my Christianity. And, um, you know, I think it was Simone Weil who said, there's two types of atheism of which one is a purification of the notion of God. And that was what I experienced. And, uh, as I said, it was the, it was the best thing that ever happened to my faith.
2: Yeah. You know, here's what I find so fascinating about what you're saying, Jeff. I mean, man, I totally agree with you, but don't you, I mean, it makes me wonder if this is really kind of what Jesus was getting at when he would say things like, you must be born again, which what he when he said this to a Pharisee, which was essentially know nothing, become a baby again, start yeah. from scratch again. Right. Or when Jesus said things like, unless you become like a little child, you mm-hmm. cannot enter the kingdom. It's what it, it feels like that. It's like, it's very similar to what you're saying. It's like, we have these preconceived notions of God and, uh, of you know, who God is and what God's like, and it's built on years and, and, you know, thousands of years of theology and, uh all these different things. And it's like it really makes it almost impossible for us to truly experience God uh just you know from a blank slate really just like beginning from zero. Yeah. And is that what you're saying? It seems that seems like that's what you're
1: suggesting. Essentially, yes. You know, I think um <clears throat> I think we think that at the if, if if we dig deep enough and get to the bottom of the idol pile, if you will we will find the true image of God that we've just kind of covered over, over the years with all these false notions. But I've come to think that's utterly false. And I think that if we get to the bottom of the idol pile, what we actually will find are our own desires for immortality and our own desires for a perfect sort of perfection that we, in that Feuerbachian sense, project out into the cosmos. And and we create gods out of our own desires, you know, and You'll never find. Well, you may. Maybe I haven't studied mythology enough, but you, you, I don't think you'll ever find a god who is the you know um, the 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 ancient equivalent of an Uber driver or the ancient equivalent of a pizza delivery guy. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's really not what anyone wants as their like ultimate purpose in life. What you will find is gods who are ultimate versions sometimes of everyday things. You take the everyday and you kind of you know. Uh, control T and stretch it out to the infinite. And 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 that's sort of what our gods were. And they start with our own desires for perfection and immortality and to be bigger than we sense ourselves as being. And then we project that image out into the cosmos and we forget that it's us and they become our gods. And eventually they right. become uncoupled from us. And then they loom over us in perfection and remind us of everything we're not, but wish that we were. And those are our idols And so, the thing we create to be our savior ends up being our tormentor. What we create as a heaven ends up becoming hell for us. And so, what God does in Jesus is he apocalyptically breaks into this world that is populated by these gods that are us, idealized versions of ourselves. And he says, No, 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 no. The divine does not lie at the top of your towers of Babel, the divine is at the bottom with you. And this is what the divine truly is. And it's a human being who sweats. who who bleeds, who breathes and says, this is where you will find the divine. And the father even responds to the son emptying himself and divesting himself of everything we think of when we think of the divine by saying to you, I give the name that's above every other name. This is the truth of who I am. I'm not God as you think of God as being. And so I think salvation in one sense is seeing in the face of Jesus that God is, is like us and so we don't need to be saved from who we are we can in a sense sink into who we are and experience god uh where we are and as who we are and so um uh, to your question i mean yeah we're we're always coming at god um looking at god through these filters and the filter we're looking through is us and what we think the divine is and what we think the divine is is us times infinity and what god shows us he actually is is basically what we are <laughs> every yeah. day. And that's where we can find God. And that's where we can find the divine at work and at play. Yeah. It's um, it's
3: amazing, isn't it? That when you say, or when I hear atheists, like um, they rightfully say like, oh, Zeus doesn't exist. And all these gods throughout the eons don't exist. And on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, I agree. But on the other hand, the fact that we create them and they fundamentally change the world around us, So in a way they do exist, which is kind of this, I'm getting to the place. I don't know about you that like all the truths of the universe are almost paradoxical. Hmm. Like these things that don't really exist create a universe that is so much different than if they didn't exist, Hmm. you know? So it's really bizarre. Yeah. And then Jesus steps, Jesus steps in and uh, undermines the
1: whole thing. Is is that what I hear you're saying? (laughs) He he, he shoves a spike in the spoke of, of our mythology and, and, and sends us tumbling over the handlebars. And, um, you know, it's a discombobulating experience to really experience God as human and as revealed in Jesus. Um, at least it was for me, because for me, God was always up there and out there. He was certainly not down here and at hand. And, um, but that's what I've encountered in Jesus. And I guess that's what I mean too when I say it's it, some see it as limiting. Um, but no, the limitation is me thinking that God is just the ultimate version. Of me, I think that's absolute limitation, but uh, discovering that what lies on the surface is actually deep, you know, and uh, to put it as Bonhoeffer said that the beyond is in our midst, you know, to discover that, I mean, that's power right there.
0: It's in in a way I feel like and correct me if I'm totally off, what you're describing is almost a return to A particular kind of orthodoxy, but with a twist, Mm. and Mm. not a distorted, super fundamentalist evangelical orthodoxy, but the kind of expansive orthodoxy, like where in the Christian year, we have ordinary time, right, where we do, we're invited to see God in the ordinary. I know not every person listening to this, you know, will sort of celebrate that Christian year. Mm -hmm. But you know, that like the, in the cup and in the bread, those are ordinary things and we can experience extraordinary grace there. I'm kind of wondering if that resonates with you or if I've gone in a direction that's actually not reflecting you.
1: No, it absolutely 100% does. Um, hmm. you know, years ago (laughs) I was, um, I was jogging one night. I don't know. It was like eight or nine at night. I I was on a long jog. Uh, It was probably like six or seven miles and I was listening to worship music and my headphones and, I don't know, praying in tongues or something. <laughs> I'm just guessing. And fasting.
0: Um, and fasting, fasting and yeah, jogging. I'm definitely <laughs> Seven fasting.
1: miles. Definitely fasting. <laughs> of um, experience. Like you, yeah. yeah. And so, I, you know, I'm, I'm jogging. It's late at night. And uh, I'm, you know, in the throes of, uh, of a worship experience. And um, my phone rings. And I pull my phone out of my pocket. And it's my wife. And, of course, the ring interrupted the worship music. And, um, you know, I declined the call, put the phone back in my pocket and kept running. Because I was praying.
0: Dang, she totally knew you did that.
1: And, and of course she did. Yeah. Yeah. And you know. And you just got to let it ring you, until
0: the answering thing picks it up.
1: I've learned that. No, actually I've yeah. learned to just answer it. But, uh, <laughs> um, but I, I did not run like 10 more steps uh, to where I felt like I literally hit a brick wall. I stopped, like I hit something. And I really felt the spirit speak deep within and said, if you don't rid your life of the concept of distractions you are going to destroy your life and the lives of everyone else in it. And um, and it was just this idea that I really saw this call from my wife as being a distraction from a spiritual experience. I felt like I was on the brink of having. And, and what I felt in that moment was that you have to rid your life of the idea of distractions. You think there are things that can actually pull you out of this, but you're always in this. And in this moment, my voice to you was on the other side of that phone call, in the voice of your wife, mm. no matter what it was she was going to say to you, that was where you were to find me in this moment. But instead, no, you thought you were going to find me on this 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 spiritual jog you were on, listening to your worship music. But that's where I was, and I think I, I want. Her, I I totally hear what you're saying. That yes, it's it's the ordinary that. <laughs> You know, I love I think it's a quote from Richard Kearney that says that the 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 surface is the deepest place. There's the great um as Kingfisher's Catch Fire, the great poem by the uh by Gerard Manley Hopkins that, you know, Christ is present in 10,000 places and faces not his own and uh, it's the ordinary stuff where we miss God and you know that's why mysticism appeals to me so much because I really um over the years learned to just encounter God in the ordinary stuff and um You know, I think it was also Gerard Manley Hopkins who says that, you know, the whole world is aflame with God and we miss it. It's right under our noses all the time and we miss it because we have been trained to look up to find God, but it's actually looking down that it's in the looking down that we often find God actually, Mm. if that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, totally.
2: No, Jeff, this is so, so good. I tell you what, I think you've blown my mind at least twice in this conversation, (laughs) uh, in a very good way. This is so, so good. Um. Well, so if people are listening and they also are pretty excited about the kind of concepts that you're unpacking and the things you're discussing, yeah. uh, you know, how can they learn more about you and these concepts that you have? I mean, do you have books, do you have a blog, Do you have a podcast, a YouTube channel. Like how can people keep up with you?
1: Yeah. Well, as of this recording, I'm actually starting a podcast. Um, I'm in the, actually going to be probably recording my first solo episode tonight. Um, but it's just simply called the religionless podcast. Um, so by the time this airs, that will be up. I'm sure, um, they can visit me on my website, jeff-turner.com. It is presently under construction, but it should be up and running very soon. I'm pretty active on social media, especially Facebook showing my age, but, um, the others, I just haven't quite learned yet, but, uh, I am very, um, active on Facebook. You can look up facebook.com slash sound of awakening men ministries. That's our old Ministry name, but I've just kept it. But I'm very active on there. I post quite a, quite a bit, uh, very often, at least every day. Um, I'm on Twitter as well at um, Jeff Turner SoA. I'm also on Instagram at Jeff Turner underscore SoA. Twitter and Instagram, I'm not as active on. But if you look me up on Facebook, I put stuff out um, all the time on Facebook. Um, I do also have two books. My first book is called Saints in the Arms of a Happy God. An obvious riff off of Jonathan Edwards' Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God that came out in 2014. That's about a 420 page uh, just journey through my theological deconstruction. And then my most recent book, which actually isn't that recent, it came out in 2016 now, but it's called The Atheistic Theist: Why There Is No God and You Should Follow Him. Um, so those are available on Amazon. Um, I am working on a couple new books right now. I have another one that I hope to be out. I hope to have out by the fall called The Sacred Yes, Christianity for the Deconstructed. And um, yeah, so I have some other projects too, but that's the only one I'll mention right now.
3: Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. This has been uh, a great, great conversation. I know it's going to resonate with our listeners. So if you are listening, uh, make sure you check out Jeff on social media and check out his site and pick up his book. It is really good, The Atheistic Theist. And uh, I know we're all excited for what you have coming down the pike so thanks man for uh
1: spending some time with us oh it was an honor and privilege thanks for having me guys
3: so rich thank you
1: yeah thanks jeff thank you very much
2: wow you know of all the jeff turners in the world
0: jeff you are the jeff turneriest thank you jeff that was great
3: and thank you jeff for um for writing the best part of from the blood of abel the forward and i i want to know why i wasn't invited to the party
0: jeff that asked dude. you not to be there yeah he did
3: Ooh. Shots fired. That's Shots fired.
0: fired. Derek and Jeff are good friends. <laughs> Jeff would never ask that. Neither would we.
3: Burn! It's, it's, <laughs> fun, it's funny to think Feeling about, though. Today.
4: <laughs> yeah, and so we're, as Keith mentioned, we're continuing this series here. And, you know... Every now and then, you get to drop some things. You get to drop it like it's hot. You get to drop the hot potato. Uh, you, you get to drop the mic. And so, um, so we're going to turn to our man Matt DiStefano, where he tells us about dropping the term Christian, and I am all down with it.
3: Well, I knew you would be, Derek. I, I'm not sure about our friends Katie and, and Keith, but you ready um, to team up, Keith? No, I know. No,
0: no of course not. Yeah,
3: I, let's let's have a battle royale. <laughs> let's
0: just listen to
3: you. <laughs> I'm just going to listen. No, I just, I, th- I find it interesting that, um, you know, I was listening back to uh, to Katie, we'll call it your episode on what Christian means to you and how it's less of a label and more of an identity. And I it was one of those episodes, I don't do this all the time, but I listened back just as a listener. And I, I didn't listen back, object or, you know, to try to like um, hear things that we can improve on or come up with ideas or anything. I just listened to it as a listener. And I found myself nodding along to what you were saying, but then at the end of the day, I thought it was beautiful that we can have the relationship here on the podcast, where I literally, unless I'm asked the question, Matt, are you a Christian any longer? I don't think of it, and it means nothing to me. And and so I appreciate the fact that your identity is in um, the term Christian. I suppose if I, if I if correct me if I'm wrong if I missed. Uh, what you were trying to convey on on that episode, but for me, I literally don't think about it, and yet there's a level of freedom that I find in in not having that label or just you know if you want to have that label on me that's fine i don't i don't know i don't know where I'm at with that and and I think that's okay and I think there's a level of freedom for me to uh, to explore what is practical. In living now, in being present now. So, I have found personally that there is so much to learn from other faith traditions, from other people of faith, from people who don't have a a faith tradition, but have different experiences than me, and just see what sticks in the here and now and how I can be a better person and treat others with more respect and compassion and empathy. And I literally don't care. What tradition or no tradition that comes from? Well, I just I just want to say that- You can burn me at the stake now if you want. You
4: don't, you don't, you don't, you, you, you're you, supposed to go full heretic. People say, don't go full heretic. You're supposed to go full heretic. Well, goddamn it, I'm going full heretic. Fuck Christianity. There, I said it. I'm
3: better. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm fine with Christianity, um, but I don't like the form it currently um takes no, in many no, let, circles. Let me
4: say this because I listened to Katie's um show just like you said, like a listener, and I nodded along a lot. Um yeah. and, and and I really get it. I, I I really get it because there are people who say my identity is in Christ. Okay. And when you and when you say that and, and you walk it out, that that when when there is evidential you know, or th- th- there's some evidence of it. Okay, I'm down with that. But it's like when you're wearing this label, and 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 basically, you know, y- you you uh, you know, you endorse people that embrace all of the seven deadly sins, you know, on a daily basis. I, I I don't I don't get it. So 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 from where Katie is coming from, I get it, and I completely understand, and I'm completely in love with her rendition of it. It's beautiful. But I'm going to tell you something, the vast majority, and this is this is blank border, bordering on an indictment, but borderline, most people who identify themselves as Christians wouldn't know Christ if he bit them on
0: the ass. The, um, Matt, what I'm loving about your, your kind of statement about where you are is that you're very much in the story, if, if I'm interpreting that correctly, um, and you're I, it's not that I feel you're unsettled or that I sense you're unsettled, but you're living it. You're living where you are. You're living the questions about what informs you um, from the Christian tradition, from other traditions. And I'm seeking to be the best you that you can be within that.
3: Yeah, it's it's um, Michelle and I talk about this in the book we're writing. Um, it's 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 you're not going anywhere in particular. You're just learning how to float. So we we're calling the book "Learning to Float" Ooh. because in, in this process, you you realize to get anywhere, you stop splashing about in this ocean that we think we're drowning in, and we just learn how to float there. And we're it, it it's that we're unsettled in a way. It may appear unsettled, but it's you're settled in that story like you just said and so a lot of people will um i've been accused of this but not a lot of people but at times i've been accused of this it's all about deconstruction for you it's all about deconstruction and it may appear like that but it's not it's being okay with the agnosticism about doctrines and dogmas and i have my beliefs and i have my theories and my ideas but i'm agnostic about a lot of it and i really don't care all the ins and outs of how that plays out because I've been able to hold on to things loosely and not like white knuckled, like, yes. like a lot of Christians yeah, that's not at.
0: bothering you anymore.
3: No, no, I'm good with it. And I'm, and I'm good if you're not there and I'm good if, you know, Keith, uh, uh you know, talking about Keith's episode and just knowing Keith in general for the last, I don't know how long we know each other, four or five years. Like I, I'm pretty sure Keith would still consider himself a Christian. That's fantastic. And like, it literally makes no difference in our relationship, so that's where I think, like Katie, Keith, anyone who affirms Christianity but is still like my friend and and as there's no like strings attached, then I think you're doing Christianity right. Yep, I respect Christians.
4: I, I respect certain Christians. I don't respect the institution of Christianity. Now, let me just say this because I got to clean this up because somebody's going to come back and and they're going to try to tar and feather me. I love me some Jesus. Listen, I love the fuck out of Jesus. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. But I, I, I really have nothing else for Christianity. I have nothing else for it. So when you talk about dropping that label, man, it, you talk about dropping like it's hot, you know, drop the mic, drop it, drop it, drop it. I've dropped it. Like Snoop Dogg. Hey, dropped
3: it. For real.
0: So, so Matt, tell us what, what other things are informing you right now.
3: Uh, my, my epistemology starts in the present moment, like in, in uh, direct experience. So I, I feel like if we're not, if our starting place is not in direct experience, I think we're just, we're speaking out of turn. So I'll give you an example. Like if someone reads a book on physics and, and on the physics of a bicycle and they, and they read it and they say, I know how to ride a bicycle. Without riding a bicycle, I mean, you're just, you're, you're kind of grasping at straws. You read a book. Um So, to know how to ride a bicycle, you get on a bike and you fall over and you you figure out the uh the balance point and and force and motion and all that you figure it out with your body so that that 's really informing me right now and a big part of that is um i mean it 's as simple in the in in the buddhist tradition it 's as simple as breathing and breath and 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 just sitting in stillness and and, and that god that 's complicated at the same time because our minds are so. Uh, always working, especially like a mind like mine. It's it's always going. It's always thinking of ideas. It's always coming up with new projects and all this, this and that and work and all that. And so it's, it's as simple as breathing and being present in the moment, but it's as complicated as getting rid of all those thoughts or not even getting rid of them. Uh, Just allowing those thoughts to be and just letting them float out there, not labeling them, not like doing anything with them, just letting them be.
0: So, you know, it's what's so interesting for me is, you know, I hear the um, sort of Buddhist training in there. And I, I think probably my, for me personally, my closest companion um, philosophy slash religion slash spiritual tradition would be Buddhism. Like that's the one that informs me the most uh, after, after the Christian traditions um, that I draw from. Um, And I think if I wasn't either if I wasn't Christian, I'd probably be Jewish. If I wasn't Jewish, I'd probably be Buddhist. Yeah. Those help me yeah. a lot though.
3: I, I would say for me, I, I mean, if I had to pick one, that would kind of defeat right, yeah, the like <laughs> of the, the Buddhist, the yes. Buddhist in me <laughs> would say it's not about picking one or the other, but if I had to pick one, uh, so I'd probably say I'm more inclined for the practicality of it for, um, for Mahayana Buddhism. That's just where well, I'm at now.
0: One of the lovely things I think about, um, asian traditions and asian religions is people actually don't feel confined to one most of the time people are very comfortable to be fluid among religious traditions and to not have those labels so i love that too
3: keith i want to hear from you i haven't heard your voice man
0: uh well i know i'm just
2: listening i think um I i would just want to say as far as like it's difficult when it comes to that label of christian um like i don't know i mean i really have tried for several years now not to identify myself as specifically as a christian i would rather say that i like I'm fascinated with Jesus and I'm, you know, I want to follow him and, um, you know, so I think I'm, I'm more Jesus centric without the label Christian. Cause there's just too much baggage with the label Christian. But, um, but at the same time, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just hard to even nail down. What do you even mean when you say Christian? Cause I'm, I'm sure when I say, it, I, if I say it, I don't mean the same thing. Other people mean most people as I'm learning. Um, but at the same time, it's it's sort of also, though, about being super—I um, I see truth in all belief systems. Um, I, I'm interested in, like, meeting Muslims or Buddhists or Hindus or even atheists and um, just hearing w- what people's thoughts are and, and without judging them, without trying to change them. Again, most of that—all of that I just described t- describe, doesn't describe any Christian, most Christians that I know. But— um, you know what I mean, it's like trying to find a way to be someone who follows Jesus, or, as Derek says, you know, I love the fuck out of Jesus, but um, which I think is we did make a t shirt
3: that <laughs> needs to be a t shirt for sure
2: but um thank you very much to do that though in a way that's not exclusive, right? so like um to love people first, I think that's the most important thing. Do we love human beings, do we love people made in the image of God? uh, can we accept them for who they are without wanting to change them to be like us? Um, and so, you know, even though you yeah, identify way more with Jesus specifically, um, I'm, I, I don't insist that everybody else has to do that, but I love, I love where you're coming from, Matt. I think it's a really cool place. Um, uh, and especially the part about the focusing on the now, I think that's been something really yeah, that's helped me a lot lately too. There's so much peace and freedom, um, in focusing on the now rather than living in the past or. Or living in the present, or in the future.
3: Well, and and the now is so beautiful in that if you understand presence, you can visit the future and the past. You can you can be nostalgic. You can go play your old Nintendo games. I'm dating myself as an '80s kid, and be present with it. And you can you can think about future plans as long as you're present with it. And, and see, that's the beautiful thing about like non-duality, non-dual thinking. Is that there's nothing wrong with nostalgia and, and uh, future planning as long as you're present with it and, you, and they're in their rightful place. You're not stuck in, oh, you know, like the guy who was a quarterback in high school back in the 80s and he could, you know, he's always living out of that place of, oh, I could have made it, bro, um, you know, and never living in the presence like of now. And so I just think, the, again, it comes down to practicality. I know Jesus talked about the kingdom of God is at hand, it's within you, all that kind of stuff. I just feel like the language of Buddhism just strikes me at my core right now. Right. And it's where, and it's where I'm at now. So where it's like, I, I'm not done with Jesus. Like, Jesus is, is, is cool. Like, we're good. <laughs> like, me and Jesus are still tight. It's all good. Um, people don't have to worry about my soul. Uh, <laughs> Jesus is I my say, motherfucker. People are going to be worried. So He's my, worried. Uh, well, I know people are going to be worried. And I, and I get that. I get that that's where people are at. You know, if you live in the mindset of turn or burn, you've got eternal torment on the mind. Um, I understand, like, you're going to be worried for me, my wife, my daughter, because we're not raising her right in the church. I get all that. It's just not where I'm at. And I'm not, I just, I mean, for me, it's just silly. It's absurd yeah. Yeah, at this point. And- you
2: know, but, you know, I think it's also so cool as well. I, um, like, I, I was just talking, I talked to uh, Matthew Reese Corman the other day, and he was t- talking about, like, the gospel of Philip. And he quoted like three or four passages from the Gospel of Philip, which I'm not that familiar with
3: that's on the Bible brother
2: and but dude there were he, the, the, the passages he quoted were like amazing they were so good and then the other day Derek you had posted something on your Facebook page which was um some quotes from the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Mm-hmm. And, and that made me go and and, and I googled it and I'm started researching. The, some quotes from the Egyptian Book of the Dead, and damn, there were like three or four great quotes. I mean, almost quotes that like you could almost say to somebody that Jesus said this, and, and people would go, "Wow, that's really cool." And so, I love finding those kinds of things—extra biblical uh, sources that are saying things that actually are so in line with the kinds of the beautiful things that I see Jesus doing and saying.
4: I mean, you um, find it like in the Bhagavad Gita; it, it's yeah. it, it's all over the place, you know. Yeah, I love
0: yeah. The one, one thing I've heard described that's really resonated with me probably about 10 years ago is that mystics from all the various traditions are like the treetops. And you can kind of skate along the treetops and you're going to find similar profound truths stated differently yep. um, among the treetops. And then about a year ago, yep. my spiritual director, um, Elisa, I'll quote you. Thank you, Elisa, for telling me this. Shamans are like the roots. Ooh. And the roots intertangle and they all, they say similar things. They draw from a similar well.
4: Right? Ooh, Katie, I'm going to quote that.
0: Well, I didn't come up with either one, but.
4: Mystics are the <laughs> treetops tree tree and, and shamans are, are, are the roots.
0: But yeah. Oh my God, and,
4: that's But brilliant. Matt,
0: I, I feel like some of what you're saying is um, tying into to both of those kind of images that I hold in my own spiritual walk. Um, you know, and for me, it's, I, I hang my hat on a nail and that nail is Christian it's Christianity but it doesn't mean I don't think there's treetops or roots either but I love that you're yeah. living in the mystery of all that
3: yep yeah, that, yeah yeah that's beautiful yeah I've just I've gotten to a place where I'm convinced that if it, uh, to use an analogy if the moon is God, we are all pointing you know the mystics or the people who are really seeking God are pointing at it from a different vantage point. So it may look a little different if you're in San Francisco or if you're in Shanghai or if you're in London but we're all pointing toward the same thing and so we all can like okay yeah i see that i read Tik not han and i'm like which i believe living buddha living christ should be mandatory reading for every human being that's ever walked the earth because i think that book is as divinely inspired as anything hmm. heresy, hit the heresy button on that one heresy. but i just i it just seems it just resonates with me that the people who are truly seeking god i'll say this i'll say this the mystics from different faith traditions are more in line with one another than a Christian mystic is with a Westboro Baptist Church member. If yep. that makes oh, sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like the the Dalai Lama is closer to Richard Rohr is closer closer to Francis of Assisi than they are with Pastor Steve Anderson of that stupid-ass Baptist Church wherever he's at.
4: Right. You know this reminds me of that opening sequence from um, Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee. You know, where he's teaching a student, and he says it's like a finger pointing at the moon, yeah, don't focus on the finger, or you'll miss all that
0: heavenly glory well, Marcus Borg uses that exact analogy about the finger pointing to the moon and reading the Bible again for the first time, which is oh does he? yeah, yeah, in chapter well, in chapter one, I think um. And I've used this book so many times in my different classes. I used it with my undergrads when I was teaching undergrads. Um, and his analogy is that the Bible is not God. The Bible points exactly. to God or it points to a human experience with God. But God cannot be yeah. contained, you know, within the pages of scripture. Um, it, available on our bookstore, by the way. Um, that particular mm-hmm. book.
3: Nice but, plug. Nice plug. Yeah,
0: well, do what I can. Yeah. Um, do what I can. With it, it'll this. go back to my it all goes back to Buddhism. You know, I I had a disappointing moment. Be like what? <laughs> I had a disappointing moment with with Buddhism, and I uh, man, I just wonder if you can illuminate this or elucidate cool. this for people who may be unfamiliar. I did a lot of reading on Buddhism twelve years ago, ten years ago, somewhere in there, and I still do from time to time. Um, and. It has this for for non Asian Westerners. I think it has this kind of allure of everything being peaceful and everyone being in a meditative state, and that means you don't have problems. And then I started reading a book like by Buddhist for Buddhists, and it turns out that you know, nope within the within the different orders within the different monasteries, oh. Look, there's sexism. Oh, look, there's dogma. Oh, look, there's all this stuff that every, you know, every tradition has problems with. And I was like, yes. damn it. That grass is not greener. It's not yeah. greener. Yeah. No,
3: no, it's not. And and I like to point out, like, Gan- Gandhi was a Hindu and he was killed by a Hindu. Yep. So, so, I mean, like, you get all the different strides. Like, humans are going to fuck shit up no matter where you're at. And, I mean, you know, Buddhism, Christianity, Judaism, like, there are going to be fundamentalists. There's going uh, to be fuckery going on in every tradition. That's my
4: favorite word, by the way.
3: Um, I, I, I did that one just for you. I know you like that did. one.
4: Yeah, that's fuckery, fuckery, um, fuckery.
3: Sorry. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I will also say about Buddhism, like I, I don't particularly like the idea that you can just get rid of desire, and that's, that's going to solve the problem. It's like I don't think we can get rid of desire. Um, so the, the Buddhists who would say like the goal is to renounce all desire, well, as a mimetic theorist or, you know, as a Girardian, I'd say that's not even possible, dude. Um, so I would, I would push back heavily on that. Um.
0: Wait, was Paul it, a Buddhist?
3: No, he was a he was a Jew. He, he really... uh, you should you should have <laughs> learned this in seminary.
0: <laughs> he really tried to get rid of just people's desires, though.
3: <laughs> uh, maybe he sat under a bodhi tree for maybe too so. long. So, right. <laughs> but you know what? Um, Joe
4: DiPasenza said um, that if we if we become selfless, then uh, we 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 get rid of um, our points in the past and the future, and we we relegate or we we place ourselves in the now. Right, so it's it's this uh, divesting of self, and that that part of of Buddhism I get. But the thing is, you can't divest yourself of human desire because that divests you of your humanity, and that right, right. That's, yeah. that's 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 why you know Buddhism doesn't particularly appeal to me. Although I have a lot of respect for it, um, but it,
2: well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you could say kind of like what uh, I, I kind of agree with what Matt is saying is that. Whereas Buddhism is correct that desire, our desire desires are a source of our suffering. Um, I I think, yeah, what we would, I would disagree like with Matt is that, yes, you're right. Our desires can be, uh, the cause of some of our suffering, but the solution isn't to try to not have desires because that's not possible. It's more to redirect those desires towards something that doesn't bring suffering.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm sure there would be debate, um, amongst Buddhist monks and, and, you know, within their own, um, theology, if you will, their own doctrine, um, with how you do that, or even if you do that. And just like any faith tradition, uh, like Katie alluded to, like there is going to be disagreement. Um, and so again, I, I, I wouldn't call myself a Buddhist per se. I don't think about these labels. I just try to glean whatever I can glean out of life, starting with my direct experiences, and, and then use it appropriately to better m- my situation. And I don't mean selflessly, just better my life for the sake of others, for my neighbors, for, for my friends, for my family. And uh, it'll all work out in the end. You know, I mean.
0: where I'm, Matt, I think what I'm also really enjoying and respecting about your, your journey, your dropping of labels is you're not culturally appropriating while you're doing it. And very often that's what I witness people doing. They draw a little bit from this, they draw a little bit from that, and they make it all um, conform to their ideas of how things should be without respecting um, with sort of without respecting traditions within their own context.
3: Yeah. And so yeah, I, try, I try I try not to culturally appropriate. Well, yeah. he, he as, does, much, as much as I can. He doesn't have to culturally appropriate because i I'll, I'll be the
4: one to tell you that that Matt is black than a motherfucker.
3: Hey. <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna give me my black card, I'll take it. Just,
0: just like <laughs> Buddha. Yep.
3: Or <laughs> but Jesus. Yeah,
0: right. <laughs> um yeah, but I that that happens so often, um, especially among the spiritual but not religious crowd, which is not a term that I've heard you use, uh, just a point of analogy. But it's kind of like, oh, no, I can take I can take a little from Buddha. I can take a little from this, that or the other. But it it ends up being um, actually all sometimes that has the effect of being all about the person and not about um, the um, the richness of the spiritual tapestry. Yeah,
5: Mm -hmm.
3: I like that spiritual tapestry. Yeah, that really
4: resonated with me. Yeah.
0: Well, so, yeah, someone as someone who I did. if, If my identity is Christian, that doesn't mean I can't respect. Um, the truths in all religions while we're remaining firm in my own tradition because I'm not trying to borrow, I'm not trying to place them or compare them to mine. Let them stand how they are and and feel and experience that moment and that truth within them. Yeah. yeah. Without having to appropriate them on to, graft them onto to something that I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah,
4: that's a great perspective.
3: And, and, and it is difficult to do. I, I'm sure, I mean, I know it's got to be easy um, to culturally appropriate when we don't even think about it i mean it's just a, something that that is it's a it's a it's a tight rope to to not to not do that oh
0: yeah i'm good at it yeah but <laughs> be conscious yeah i think not I, doing th-
3: it. <laughs> I think we all are
2: yeah it is tough cuz like in some ways i think Amer- modern americans are very uh kind of used to sort of playing mr potato head with all kinds of things and um i like this i'll i'll, I'll glob this on, but i like this i'll do this oh
0: god mr potato head you don't even That's know a great where analogy doing.
4: yeah I made you, you know it's true, <laughs> Mister Potato Head. I made you.
3: Well, I mean, this is. Uh, I appreciate you guys letting me back clean up and um, <laughs> kind of uh, end with end end our series with talking about. I guess apostasy. I mo- most Christians would consider me an apostate at this point. Yeah, you know, you and, I'm, podcast, you can and I'm okay with the
2: podcast to about apostasy. That would
3: be. Yeah, I could totally milk that baby.
2: You probably could.
3: What's beyond apostasy? Yeah. I, I don't know. Is well, that know.
4: <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where I am? I'm 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 past that. As, as you yeah. can all
0: imagine, fellow Christians call me you know nasty names all the time. So I'm, well, I'm good yeah, with my apostate role. It's fine.
3: You're you're doing some some metaphysical stuff, yeah. Katie. I mean, yeah, you're no. you're going into you're you're treading into waters that's not allowable. I mean, I, I, we're doing enough of that on the show, like with questioning atonement theories. But you right. you've gone in it heavy.
0: We are hey that's why we're all here on this plane together.
4: If you if you guys missed Katie's talk in NAMAD 2020 about about Reiki and th- that was eye opening. It's brilliant.
0: Oh, oh I'm I'm so happy. I've been uh raking myself in my house all weekend with this oh, man. uh
4: yeah. Yeah, my my wife's a Reiki practitioner. It's, so it's got-
0: it's good to be married <clears throat> to a Reiki practitioner.
3: It is. Can I can I admit something? I don't even know what that is.
0: No, I have no idea. I
2: thought it was, who's Ricky? Ricky who?
3: <laughs> Ricky
0: is that number? It's a Japanese it's a modality number. of energy healing. So.
2: Oh, now I get it. Thank you.
0: Yeah. R e yeah,
2: you know, i k i. Yeah, no, I know what Ricky is. I just I, I heard him say Ricky, and I thought it was like his <laughs> name. like I, did, should, I, I don't remember the Ricky story. Yeah,
4: Keith thought There's, it was Enrique Enrique Iglesias or something, right? <laughs>
0: there, I, I we thought you start I, a Ricky podcast. Yeah, there Ricky.
3: we go. I'm 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 down. I thought we were talking about a former caller into the uh the hotline, but yeah, Ricky. Uh, that's a different Ricky. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh I if you if you liked this episode and you want to check out more, make sure you head on over to heretic And as Katie mentioned, we have a bookstore. So if you are into books, which you lovely listeners are smart, you read. So we have a list of books from our previous Heretics of the Week. We have as many of them as possible. And most of them are about 15% off. And they go towards supporting the show. So I know it's I know it's getting close to Christmas, um, but you can still order some books for people. It might be it might come it might come after Christmas, but close enough, right? So head on over to heretichappyhour.com, check out the bookstore and see if any of those books resonate with you.
0: Yeah, pick up reading the Bible again for the first time. It's uh, eye-opening and very gentle. I like yeah, to see in that. there a lot. Yeah. And we also have two Facebook groups. So everyone, every single one of you, if you're not a member of Heresy After Hours, come join us there. We have over 2,000 heretics. Uh, they're all asking tough questions. We're snarky. We're supportive. We're beautiful. Sometimes we're a little ugly. Uh, and we all have a really fun time in there. We also have a Facebook group that's exclusive for our Patreon members. Ooh. And yes, very, very exclusive. And you get access to us, the four podcast hosts, and ask all the really tough questions, give out resources. We have a really fun time in there, too.
2: Oh, yes. And speaking of Patreon, um, listen, if you love the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, and we know you do because you've made it this far, um, you, you, you're you missing out because you should go over to the patreon.com slash Happy page. And um, for just a few pennies uh, a week, or a day, I guess, really, a few pennies a day, you can support uh, your favorite podcast, which, of course, is the to Happy Hour. And uh, as a huge thank you, we're going to give you so many cool and amazing things, including, like, uh, PDFs of some of our books, um, uh, weekly video posts. Uh, I mean, just all kinds of cool stuff. And there's already tons of stuff on there. So if you start supporting us, even at, like, the $2 uh, a month level, which is, come on, $2 a month, uh, you're going to unlock so much amazing content we record bonus interviews. We would record extra uh, podcast content after after this show ends. We keep talking and add even more awesome stuff to the Patreon page. Uh, plus, you also get access to the private uh, Patreon group, the Heritage Happy Capybara
0: Facebook group. So much good stuff. Go check it out. Oh, and definitely check it out. And someone just um, a little worm in my ear. Yeah, no, Marcus Borg's book is not on there. Sorry guys, I'm I'm I misrepresented the podcast. Come yeah. I wanted it. To, I want to manifest it to be on Well, there. you know why? Because
2: Marcus Borg was never on, he was never heretic of the week, so. Oh, from we, heaven, yeah. from heaven, yeah. I, I really, I would love to have met that guy. I tell you what, I wish we could have interviewed
3: him. Uh, maybe we can, maybe we can add it. We can do something, add his book on there.
4: Yeah, let's just cheat. <laughs> let's add it anyway. <laughs> and so folks, if you like this podcast and you enjoy the content and the the all the awesome work that these hosts and our producer do, please Go to iTunes and rate us five stars, or I, Satan himself, will send a personal monkey to ride He's your met- back that <laughs> you can't drop. You're manifesting a demon here, like
3: Jesus
0: how? Marcus to out. a demon.
3: <laughs> uh, on next episode we will uh, we will exercise Derek <laughs> <Derek's
0: demon, yes. laughs> you damn
3: right
0: <laughs> oh, God, I just made my week thank you so much
2: oh man oh, Christ you <laughs> <laughs>